the Apollo Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to Cash Landing, the show where we fall ass backwards into the money and you get richer just by listening. I, as always, am your host, Ben, joined tonight, as always, by my esteemed co-host, Aaron. Aaron, how are we doing tonight? Oh man, Ben, I am doing pretty good. Uh, it's been a good week of baseball with the ALCS and the NLCS, uh, giving us nice entertaining series. And I am still riding extremely high off of our betting week from last weekend because, oh man, we told the people the heater was coming and we had our best week ever. And it might never get topped, but holy crap, Ben, go ahead and give the give out the details in our betting week last week. Well, uh, let, let me go ahead and tell you, we had the best week that we could possibly have. It was a perfect week. Hang the banner from the rafters. A perfect week of betting. Both Aaron and I hit all of the bets that we gave out on the podcast last week. We're going to quickly go over those and then get right into the baseball because we are recording this fresh off game six of the ALCS and during game five of the NLCS. So we are... We're definitely anxious to talk about that, but a perfect week does not happen very often. We are we're both firmly in the positive for money on the year. Aaron, I'll let you go ahead and take it with some of your bets. I'll go ahead and talk about some of mine. Yeah, so I mean, I was on the Panthers big time. I thought they were the better team, and they are just better than Atlanta. Uh, Dan Quinn, Rip, finally got fired. We'll get to that a little bit later. Uh, the Vikings should have beaten the Seahawks, but they still they did not. But they still did cover the plus seven. Uh, my Cardinals Steelers teaser was the lock that I thought it was. And then even my three team teaser with the Panthers, uh, my under in the Ravens game, my over in Jerry world, man, those were all pretty stress free. I mean, I didn't really have any close calls except for the Vikings scare me a little bit, but yeah, man, perfect week for me. I was pretty happy about it. Yeah. I didn't end up having very many close calls either. I had my, my teaser was pretty solid as well. Raiders and Vikings. I made them, very high numbers the Raiders ended up winning outright and and actually what happened in the Seahawks Vikings game this is a week ago I almost forgot what I forgot what went down yeah like the the Vikings were winning and then the Seahawks kind of we thought they were going to blow the cover because the Seahawks came all the way back and took the lead and then the Vikings kind of turned it around and barely lost that's right but I had a I had a plus 13 line anyway so it, it really it was a little stressful at one point but it wasn't that bad at all and then I had the Texans minus six at Jacksonville. I took the winless Texans with no Bill O'Brien. That felt like a lock. Uh, I had an actual can't-lose parlay for once with the Ravens, Rams, and Cowboys. The Cowboys really tried to blow that one for me, but they didn't. And then I had the Browns money line parlayed with the under for the Colts. And I'm sorry, the Browns money line parlayed with the under from the Bengals-Ravens game. And that that one had some pretty good odds. I basically tripled my money and you know, that one was good too. So overall, both of us won $506 on our initial $500 allowances for the week. So we both more than doubled our money. Aaron is now up almost $600 on the year. I'm now up $65 total. And as a podcast, if you can do some simple math along with me, we're up roughly $660. Yeah. I mean, 660 People, I mean, you got to take that. We told people maybe they can just wait for us to get on a heater, then to start tailing the bets. I mean, hopefully you were tailing last week, but if not, you know, I think we definitely found our groove here. We're up 657 as a podcast, so 
I mean, now seems like a good time to start tailing the picks, you know, don't you think, Ben? Yeah, I would say we are are heating up, and especially if 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 this week goes as well as I think you and I both think it might, then that we're officially hot, and and we're gonna start recommending some things pretty heavily. I, I would say, but but I I really want to get into some baseball. I mean, this is you know I'm an Astros fan. This is this is huge for me. Are, are you ready to talk some baseball? Yeah, I am ready to talk some baseball, man. Ben, the reason that you do not have the clear memory of what happened in that Seahawks-Vikings game was because you were at my house and we were tilting the Astros game together on the side screen. And, uh, man, that game one, the game two, the game three, they were all brutal losses. I mean, what was your thought process as the Astros were just getting babbitted to death in games one through three, and it looked like the season was just slipping away with some close losses? Well, I, I I tweeted some of these things out. It it really did. It started to feel like karmic retribution. It was the BABIP stuff, especially. was just horrible. They were hitting rockets right at the Rays defenders. Alex Bregman was just hitting stuff right at Joey Wendell, right at the outfielders. It was just nothing was going right. All of the Rays little dribblers were just finding grass. I thought the season was absolutely over after Game Three. I was, I mean, that was that was it. I didn't. It's. I didn't start making an off-season plan or anything, but I was, I was on the verge of inconsolable, and then the Mad Men, they storm back. It the the series is now tied up three games to three. We've got a game seven tomorrow, but those first three games, man, those were just hard to. That that you know the 2018 Red Sox series was pretty pretty deflating, but that just seemed like a dominant team. We like the team ran into a buzzsaw. The Rays, it just felt like the baseball gods were mad at, at the Astros. No, those losses were so brutal. I mean, game one, they just had so many chances. I mean, true story, we were watching this game together. Ben gets a phone call towards the beginning of the game to to let him, you know, so he gets notified that his house got hit by a Molotov cocktail. True story. And that was not even the worst thing that happened to Ben that night because that was way behind the Yuli Gurriel double play ball that just was the absolute dagger for the Astros. I mean, they, I mean, which one devastated you more? I got to get your take on this here. No, yeah, that's not a joke at all. My mom's house actually got, like, somebody threw a Molotov cocktail at it, and it hit the sidewalk. It didn't hit the house. My house didn't catch on fire or anything, but that person's now arrested, so I, I can sleep at night and, and everything. But, you know, I, I looked down at the scorch mark and I took a picture of it and it just reminded me of how Alex Bregman is scorching these double play balls right at Joey Wendell. And it was, it was horrible, but, but the Astros were worse. Yeah. I mean, the Astros, that game one loss was brutal. Then two and three happened, but man, game four, Ben, who came through in game four? Who came through in game four, Ben? <laughs> this is Aaron's boy. This is Zach, Zachary Donald Grenke. The man, the myth, the legend, the future Hall of Famer himself. They finally let him finish an outing the way that we know he can. And it worked out beautifully. There were some interesting comments afterwards, but I know Zach is your I know Zach is your boy even more than mine, even though he's on my team. I know Zach is your boy, Aaron. So I'm I'm gonna let you go ahead and and, and talk up your boy a little bit. Yeah, man. I mean, he came through yet again. It seems like the Astros fan base and uh even more than the fan base, maybe just the coaching staff and the management have underappreciated him um, in his tenure with the Astros. But man, he came through when the backs were against the wall. He gave them the outing that they needed. 
Uh, he got the ball to Javier and, you know, he got the huge out. Dusty Baker let him left him in there with the bases loaded two outs when it seemed like he definitely would have been pulled in the past. He was able to talk himself into staying in and he got the huge punch out. Uh, he got the change up in the dirt. Maldonado was going crazy. Dusty Baker was going crazy. And Granky just slowly walks off the mound with like almost no expression on his face until he finally cracks a smile getting into the dugout. But yeah, I mean, you talk about the comments afterwards. He he talks about how it was nice that it seemed like they finally had some faith in him because it never really seemed like they did in the past. Seems like he was probably taking some shots at AJ Hinch here. I mean, Granky had some really positive things to say about Dusty Baker. So, I mean, it seems like Granky, out of all the people, is the one most happy with the manager switch over these past years, it seems like. Yeah, and it would make sense given AJ Hinch's reputation and Dusty Baker's reputation, just as far as letting veteran pitchers do what they do and letting starters go deep into games in general. The I don't know how much of it is truly AJ Hinch or maybe just the old Astros decision making brass in general, but either way, as far as Greinke is concerned, he he feels like they trust him a lot. Maybe not a lot. They trust him more now, and I'm I, you know I'm I'm happy to see him him more fulfilled and more satisfied. But at the same time, AJ Hinch, man, you can't you can't piss off your your Hall of Fame trade acquisition in in half a year. That's insane. No, I mean, you can't. And I mean, the thing that was really impressive is, I mean, Granky really backed um, Dusty Baker. He said, you know, anytime Dusty Baker sees something with his eye and he makes a judgment call on it, it's right 100% of the time. And we know Granky is not a guy to go to the media and just start throwing out compliments left and right. So, I mean, when he says something, it is really sincere. So he really does back Dusty Baker. And I think that's a fun relationship going forward. Hopefully we get to see Granky pitch in the World Series again this year, but Man, I mean, just another stat here. After the Astros were down 0-3 after the first three games, they were 16-1 to to win the series. And, I mean, here they are, Ben, three days later as a slight favorite to win Game 7. I mean, this is this is unbelievable what's really happening here. How? I mean, you can take me through Game 5 and Game 6 because we talked about how Granky is my boy and he came through in Game 4. Well, I mean, your boy is Carlos, so I'll let you talk about Game 5. Yeah, there's not much to talk about in Game 5 other than it was an extremely well-played game. It was just the the bullpen game is not supposed to go the Astros' way ever. Luis Garcia ended up getting the start. If you've never heard of him, I do not blame you at all. He played in high-A Fayetteville, and he only pitched about 20 innings there last season. So, I mean, this guy is not Major League ready at all. He came out and gave basically two quality innings, and then... It was just a bullpen game from then on out. The Rays did the same thing with John Curtis. And the Astros ended up pitching five different rookies. They got the job done. They got it tied in the bottom of the ninth with the Astros as the home team. And Carlos Correa, oh my goodness, this man cannot stop hitting walk-off home runs in ALCSs. It is unbelievable. I'm not a huge clutch believer. Carlos Correa is starting to make me believe in the clutch gene. This, this man is insane. He's made a bunch of hitting mechanics adjustments over the last few weeks. He's absolutely standing up on everything he's given in the zone. He just looks so locked in, and that's my boy right there. That's the guy I want to give 10 years, $300 million to. And then it's Framber Valdez, game six, leading the charge all the way. And here we are, 3-3, looking forward to a game seven. 
and we got a lot to talk about from this game seven because the matchup is super interesting. I mean, it is a really intriguing game seven. I mean, my main takeaway from watching the game tonight, other than, you know, another great start by Valdez was the Rays are starting to play like a team that realizes they might be on the verge of blowing a 3-0 lead. They're getting tight. I mean, they're just, their at-bats aren't as crisp. Their catching was a little off tonight. You could see the tensity. Uh, the pitchers were getting a little tense. They were walking some more guys. The Astros just seem like a team that are playing with way more confidence. They have all the momentum. They know they have the experience. I think there's a good chance all these things carry over and play a big impact in Game 7, but I mean, just looking at the pitching mass matchup, we've got McCullers versus Morton to start it. And then, you know, Urquidy and Glass now, respectively, are going to be available on three days rest. And then we've got the normal bullpen pieces that we've seen throughout the rest of the series. I mean, it's interesting. I don't know. You're, I mean, Javier and Presley are shaky at best to be available tomorrow, but it is a game seven. But, I mean, what do you think about the pitching matchup here and who do you give the slight lean towards tomorrow in this epic game? Man, as far as the pitching matchup goes, the lean definitely goes to the Rays. I think Morton and Lance McCullers, you're probably giving McCullers a slight edge there. Or Kitty and and whenever Glass now comes in for maybe one inning. I mean, that Glass now inning is probably going to be locked down, but he's on two days rest. He can't go very long. They have Ryan Yarborough available too if they need any sort of length. So that's, that's definitely a... a a thing in their favor. Enoli Paredes is really the only high leverage arm that's going to be rested for the Astros, which is not ideal. The Rays are going to have Nick Anderson and their pen is also a little gas, but less so than the Astros. The Astros almost literally can't throw Christian Javier. Ryan Presley would have to go four days in a row, which he, he may end up doing. He, he got through the, he got through the ninth today and in not very many pitches, but I'm going to be honest, I think there's a solid chance that we see both Brooks Raley and Josh James in this game, as much as that pains me. I think Josh James just needs to be given some good matchups, and then the the Astros are going to squeak it out. They can 100% hit Morton, because as far as the lineups go, it's not even close. The Astros have the clear advantage there. The Rays have not been able to really hit at all, besides Manuel Margot and and Randy Arozarena, but it's just going to come down to how many quality innings can the Astros get from these arms. I think it's going to be enough. All these dudes have shown up. I think they show up one more day. The momentum is all on their side. I'm I'm going Astros in seven. But keep in mind, that's a little bit of a homer pick. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm going to lean Astros just based solely off of experience and momentum. I, I think the momentum comes into play with the pitching staff, and I think the experience comes into play with the hitting. I mean, I trust Altuve here. I trust Bregman to figure it out, and then Correa and Springer have been hitting all series, and, man, it's hard to pick against them right now. I do think they become the second team ever to come down from a 3-0 deficit. Man, that's nuts. It's just so much history. And speaking of history, there's often a phrase that people throw out, which is that, History often repeats itself. So we're going to go ahead and shift our attention from the ALCS over to the NLCS for our favorite meme, both Aaron and I. Probably Aaron more so than I. So Aaron, in what way did history repeat itself in the NLCS so far? I mean, Kershaw, he he did it again. He, He did the thing where he goes out and grabs the ball on the mound in the playoffs and then he gives up runs and he just gets really sad. He did that whole act. He went through it again. I mean, 
Ben, this is the greatest regular season pitcher of all time. People claim that he's one of the best pitchers straight up of all time and the numbers back it up in the regular season. But man, in LCS, you're down two to one going against a no-name starter for the Braves. I mean, this absolute legend of a pitcher just gives us another outing where he goes five innings, seven hits, four earned in a game. They desperately needed him to go deep. And he just didn't have it again. We got multiple shots of him looking very sad in the dugout. The Dodgers ended up losing this game. They were down 3-1. Looks like they're going to squeak out a win tonight and force a game six. But, I mean, man, Ben, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. Playoff Kershaw is just straight up insane right now, I think. There's a lot of stats flying around about how Clayton Kershaw has the highest ERA of any postseason pitcher with 100 innings or more, which is sort of astounding to me. I think that this, I I always thought that this narrative was more funny than it was true. But looking at it now, and this outing doesn't change a whole lot, it's, it's definitely hilarious to look at. But just looking at the numbers, it is hard to argue that there is a steep drop off from regular season to playoff Kershaw because it is almost an indisputable an indisputable fact at this point. And it's something that I know Aaron really loves to laugh about as a Diamondbacks fan. It's something that I find pretty funny as well. I will say, you mentioned that they're they're squeaking past the Braves. I mean they have a what is this? They have a four run lead right now with with Kenley Jansen in at the bottom of the ninth as we're recording this. I don't really know if that's squeaking past them. I think the Dodgers have, have put up some decent showings. Going forward, I am, I I do not have nearly as good of a feel on this series as I do the ALCS. I would give a lean to the Braves for sure, if only because they're up three to two, and I believe in that pitching staff, and I believe in that lineup to to put up runs when it matters. So, what 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 what's your gauge on these next two games? Yeah, I mean the Braves lineup has just been super impressive throughout the series. The Dodgers are not getting any length out of any of these starters. I mean, Dustin May had another really short start tonight, so the Dodgers bullpen just got absolutely abused again. I just, I mean, they're going to have Freed and Anderson on normal rest now for Game 6 and possibly Game 7. I do think the Braves find a way to close out the series. I think it probably happens tomorrow in Game 6. I just think they've been the better team this series. The offense has been clicking. I mean, Freddie Freeman and Marcelo Zuna have been sensational. Ozzy Albies has been really good. Acuna's been in the middle of everything. I just think the Braves have been the better team. I mean, I don't think they're the overall better team, but I think they have been the better team this series. I think the bullpen's done what they're supposed to do, and I do think the Braves close it out tomorrow. And, Ben, that bodes well for the Braves because, fun fact, ever since 2016, the team that beats the Dodgers in the playoffs has gone on to win the World Series. So, the Braves have that going for them if they do close it out like I think they will tomorrow night. Oh, that's those are some strong analytics right there. I will say we we had a we had a quick conversation a text conversation uh, beforehand about the best rosters of the decade essentially, and it is really just nuts. The Dodgers have at least two of the top three with no World Series, and they probably have five of the top eight or nine going all the way back to 2015 with no World Series to show for it. I think I would argue that the 2020 Dodgers are, are if they were healthy at least, if, if you gave me a healthy Bueller, maybe David Price didn't opt out. 
the 2020 Dodgers would be the best roster assembled this decade. And the 2017 Dodgers are probably number three. I think I'll give the 2019 Astros number two with Cole Verlander and Granke and, and, and everybody else on that roster. But man, just they are loaded every year. And if they don't squeak past the Braves here, there's got to be a lot of changes that happen in that Los Angeles Dodgers organization. And I think it has to start with Dave Roberts. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if they're actually going to do it. I mean, just winning the division year after year after year and racking up so many wins. I mean, I don't know if they'll actually get rid of Dave Roberts. That seems like the obvious move that just to kind of shake things up a little bit. But I mean, they haven't, I don't think they've really made any mistakes. I mean, you could say maybe they could be even more aggressive in free agency, but I mean, they've added at the trade deadline, they've added Darvish, they've added Machado. I mean, they went out and added freaking Mookie Betts this offseason. I mean, they've been pretty damn aggressive. So I don't really know if you can put any blame on the ownership and the management there. So I think maybe they do shake it up with Roberts. But, man, I mean, you talked about it. This team has had one of the best rosters every single year. No titles to show for it. And, I mean, they're certainly capable of coming back and winning this series against the Braves and giving us another World Series run. But I do think the Braves close it out, and hopefully it does shake things up for the Dodgers. And I – you know, opens the door for the Diamondbacks to become the next NLS dynasty. <laughs> all right, all right. This is this is not a uh, an anti Dodger podcast. Particularly, we can we can go ahead and lay off LA, especially because I mean, you're right. They they could very easily win two games and end up playing in the World Series, and and I would not be surprised at that at all. They they do have to get they have to get by Freed and Anderson, which is not the easiest thing in the world, but certainly doable for that lineup and that roster, which is just unbelievable. But I think that's probably enough with baseball. That's that's definitely all I have to say. We can move on to the NFL if if you're good with it. Yeah, I think I'm about ready to move on to the NFL. One last thing I want to add has been, if we do get a Game 7 in the NLCS, that Game 7 will be on Sunday. So if we potentially do get that Game 7, that means Sunday night we will have our World Series matchup set in stone. We'll also be coming off a full day of uh, NFL action. That might be grounds for our first emergency podcast, don't you think? Getting a full NFL Sunday it, it, reaction with a World Series preview. Yeah, it it definitely could be. I uh, maybe I'm even rooting for a Game Seven now in the NLCS, but yeah, probably so, not. I think I'd like to just see Freed go shove. Yeah, so just be on the lookout for that. I mean, we'll we'll put we'll put everything out there on the Twitter where you should follow us at Cash Landing Pod. Feel free to interact. But I mean that that could be in the works. But yeah, besides that, I'm definitely ready to get in the NFL talk here. All right. Well, the number one storyline in the NFL for us, this has been an inside joke, not even inside. <laughs> this is a joke on our radio station for a long time. Dan Quinn finally fired. No longer are we able to bet against him. Uh, his children are going to have just a lot of transfer paperwork from school to school as they move out of Atlanta. Just a lot of, of papers and initials for his kids to sift through. It's going to be a mess, but the Falcons are, I mean, they had to do it. That, that organization was poisoned ever since 28 to three. And I feel bad for Dan Quinn. I don't really know how much of it is on him, but you need to, change something up in that organization and it's going to start with Dan Quinn and man they they had a bad start to this year yeah I mean they also fired their GM as well it was one of those things where like I was watching that Falcons game and Arthur Blank came down on the field like he always does but he didn't have the same look on his face he just I was looking at him like yeah 
he's going to fire him right after the game, isn't he? And that's exactly what happened. Look, I mean, let's take this opportunity to wish, you know, good luck to Dan Quinn's children. They need to take this opportunity. You know, they can blossom some new everlasting friendships with the kids in their new community, wherever they choose to live, wherever Dan Quinn can find a job in the NFL. Hopefully that works out for him. But man, I mean, we don't get to bet against Dan Quinn anymore. Maybe this will shake up the Falcons who have just been so bad this year in pretty much every aspect of the game of football. But yeah, I mean, that's a rip to that's the end of an era there. Up 28 to three in the Super Bowl, Ben. Five years later, you're out of a job and you're doing a bunch of transfer paperwork. I mean, life comes at you fast. <laughs> maybe we'll, if we want to go like super meta narrative, maybe we'll just start betting against defensive coordinator Dan Quinn. Just <laughs> follow him wherever he goes. Just the impact he has in the locker room. Just a curse, basically. Oh, man. That, oh. That's pretty good. But so yeah, one I other mean, thing that was rare. Uh, we got we got a little Tuesday night football. Uh, the Titans, the COVID Titans, came out and kind of had a coast-to-coast win against your Bills. Ben, are we at all worried about your Bills? I'm, I'm still all aboard the Bills wagon. I'm, I think the Titans might just be, like, legit good. Like everybody like kind of thought they might be after Tannehill had that stretch last year. Like may, you know, if Tannehill is legit, then the Titans are probably good. I I appreciate your never bet the Tennessee Titans rule from last year. It still looms large in my head because it, it feels really hard to get a gauge on that team, but I, I'm not that worried about the Bills. Josh Allen seemed very upbeat even after the loss. It was it seemed more like it was a coaching mismatch than anything, which I think Brian Dayball and can can definitely fix on the offensive side so uh, i'm gonna say josh allen is still my 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 savior and and we're riding with josh allen man i just realized i'm breaking my titans rule again this week that's not what you want but i didn't know i didn't know if you were continuing the titans rule into this year or not yeah i mean i in general i do like it just because i never have good luck with the titans but I mean, I'm just I'm on the other side this week because they just played on a Tuesday, so I feel like that is warrant to waive my rule for this week. But we'll get to that later. I mean, you have anything else before we are going to try to win some people some money and some DFS plays? I don't really have anything else. It, it, it might be that we end up having the COVID games overrule any other rule that we've had because this is just a new wrinkle in. Well, you know, we have never seen anything like this before. We don't know what Tuesday night football is going to do, but in a few weeks, we, we certainly will. And we, uh, until then we're going to try and be sharp on it and we'll definitely be sharper on it. Once we get a few weeks of, of seeing how the COVID football really works. Yeah. It's definitely a fair point to make. I mean, we know the players and the coaches have to adjust to it, but look, the people like us have to adjust to it too, Ben, the, the sharps out there that are trying to win people money we also have to make our own adjustments. So we're definitely going to keep our eyes on how teams react coming off the short weeks and how they do coming off the long layoffs and unexpected bye weeks in the future. And speaking of weird slates, Ben, we've got no Kansas City Chiefs, no Buffalo Bills, no Dallas Cowboys, no Arizona Cardinals, and no Los Angeles Rams on this main slate. That's a lot of big names that we usually like to go to. So I mean, that kind of makes this a fun, interesting slate where we can give out some plays we don't usually go to. Yeah, there's a lot of names here that I ordinarily would not take in cash, but looking at the slate, I'm like, you know, this this guy definitely definitely looks like solid value, and and especially at the running back position, we'll, we'll, we'll definitely get to that, but there's only a few names that I really like, but I do really like a few of them, so 
we'll, we'll get there when we get there. I'll let you go ahead and, and start off with quarterback. I know you like my my boy, my old uh, my old ride or die quarterback. Yeah, my favorite high price guy this week is going to be Deshaun Watson. He's seven thousand dollars, the third most expensive QB on the board. Look, uh, Lamar Jackson's the most expensive guy here. I think I'm out. He hasn't shown the upside so far this year, which is weird to say about Lamar Jackson. We still know the upside is there, which makes him a perennially, you know, decent tournament option. But I'm probably just going to wait and see. Rodgers is the second most expensive guy. He's going up against a good defense for kind of the first time all year. He has Devontae Adams back, but he doesn't have his wide receiver too, Alan Lazard. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to roll out to Sean Watson here as my favorite high price guy. It's only 7000 so he's not going to kill your lineup. The Titans are getting no pressure on opposing quarterbacks this year. They are dead last. They are 32nd in, adju- in adjusted sack rate this year. Deshaun Watson will have time to throw. We know that is a huge deal for Deshaun Watson. Brandon Cooks, Will Fuller, Randall Cobb, they all look good. They all look healthy. I think the tight. I mean, the Titans are coming off a Tuesday night game. No time to prepare for Deshaun Watson in this passing attack. No Bill O'Brien. Deshaun Watson is free, so... Yeah, I think Watts is my guy here. He's probably my favorite cash game guy, and uh, I'm definitely going to roll out some Titan, some Texans onslaught here in some tournaments. Yeah, I, I have no problem with Watson. One guy, if if Aaron convinced you on that, and you're looking for a tournament lineup, I think Matt Ryan at 6600 is a pretty good tournament pivot. I think me and Aaron might disagree here. Julio Jones is back. The Vikings defense is really bad. I know that Matt Ryan's game log is going to scare off a lot of people, and probably rightly so. He has not been very good lately, but he also hasn't had the weapons that that he is accustomed to having, especially in this Falcons offense. I definitely think this game has big shootout potential between the Vikings and the and the Falcons. So I like him as a tournament play. I'll probably stay away in cash, but but he's he's one of my favorite tournament pivots from what I expect will be a, a chalky Deshaun Watson and then there's going to be some some chalky I think cheaper cash quarterbacks that we that we have below or I'm sorry cheaper tournament quarterbacks that we have below that I think are going to be a little chalky so rolling the dice on Matt Ryan I don't think he's washed I also don't think Julio Jones is washed I just think it was a really rough start to the year for the Falcons and I think they they at least the offense turns it around at some point yeah, I mean, I'm I'm more out on Matt Ryan than you are for sure. But if Matt Ryan does have one thing going for him this week, he is rid of Dan Quinn. So you can talk me into the anti-Dan Quinn narrative here. That's probably the one way you can get me in on this play. But it is a decent matchup. It is a game that could easily turn into a shootout with the Falcons' terrible defense. There's a chance they are playing from behind. We know Matt Ryan puts up a ton of yards when he is playing from behind, but Overall, man, he just hasn't looked like the same guy this year. He hasn't looked good whatsoever. He hasn't been as accurate. He hasn't been taking the shots down the field. So I'm probably going to pass on Matt Ryan, but I don't hate the play. I am probably going to pivot and go $100 cheaper, and I'm more inclined to play Tom Brady this week at $6,500. Look, the Packers have not played many great offenses this year, and they're 29th in defensive DVOA right now. I think uh, Brady's got Evans here. He finally has Chris Godwin back from the hamstring injury. Scotty Miller's ready to go. Uh, he's got all his weapons out there. I think he will get some time to throw here against this defense that isn't that scary. This game has a but this game has a total of fifty five and a half. So I think there is potential for a shootout here. We could get Brady and Rodgers going back and forth, and in that scenario, I think I'd want to have Tom Brady at a much cheaper price with the better weapons here. Uh, yeah, give me Tom Brady at 6,500. Are you, you're shying away from Brady here? Or you like him a little bit? 
I, I have no problem with Brady. The I, my only issue is that I think maybe the Packers defense is a little better than it's than it's getting credit for. Uh, their cornerbacks specifically are doing a pretty good job, but I mean guys like Godwin are are more or less matchup proof, and we'll we can get into that when we go down the wide receiver list. I I, cer- I certainly don't hate it. It's I would be interested to see if Fournette is playing. I would be interested to see what sort of rushing attack is is happening here, but but. Especially as a tournament option, definitely Tom Brady 6,500. I have no problem with that. One guy I like more, I think, in both formats is going to, and I'm going to, I'm going to pull your strategy here. I'm going just $100 cheaper is going to be Gardner Minshew at 6,400. Uh, the Cash Landing Pod talks a lot about Detroit's dead last defensive DVOA. We talk about it all the time. We are not seizing this slander just yet. Uh, the Jacksonville Jaguars clearly have offensive weapons and they're willing to put up these crucial fantasy points in garbage time. I mean, last week, Minshew didn't even have that great of a game and he still put up 24 DraftKings points against the Texans. That offense stalled in the red zone an awful lot and he still put up pretty good production. So I like Minshew in cash. I like Minshew in tournaments. I think 6,400 is a good price and I will probably... I. I, I I certainly don't dislike the Brady pick. I think Minshew is probably the safer pick both ways, just looking at Detroit's defensive DVOA. Yeah, I also like Minshew. I like Minshew pretty often just because the Jacksonville defense is so bad. They're almost always going to be playing from behind. So you have always the garbage time potential, and then not even just garbage time, just it could be a shootout, which we're definitely expecting this week. Um, My main thing to note here with Minshew is DJ Chark is questionable, so – if we get news that DJ Chark is playing and he's like healthy and ready to go, that is a big deal for Minshew because that offense is not the same without a healthy DJ Chark. So if we get the word that DJ Chark is out or even like going to try to play through a lot of pain, I might be out on Minshew. So definitely monitor that situation. But man, if we get a healthy Chark here, I am with you on Minshew. And I mean, if I'm in on Minshew and I think this game's going to be a shootout, I am certainly on Matthew Stafford, who's $100 cheaper. So we got a lot of quarterbacks we like in this price range. But, I mean, yeah, it's it's the same reasons that we liked Minshew. It's going to be a potential shootout. Galladay is back. He looks healthy. I mean, there's no reason not to like Stafford here. He hasn't shown the upside yet. He got off to a hot start in that uh, Saints game, and then the whole offense and the whole team just kind of cooled off. But I don't think there's going to be much cooling off here against this Jacksonville secondary coming off a bye for Detroit. So, I mean, I got to assume you're in on Stafford here as well. Maybe a little Stafford Minshew uh, play one in one lineup and then one in the other and just hope it's a complete shootout. Uh, yeah, I, I definitely – I really like Stafford this week for sure. Um, I, for the same reasons as Minshew, you're, you're totally right. Just uh, same reasons as Minshew and add in some, some talent factor. I think Stafford's just a better quarterback than Minshew. I think maybe he even has better weapons. I'd probably take – Holiday and Jones over Chark and the other Jacksonville receivers. So Stafford is sixty three hundred. Definitely, definitely a good play. I, I have no problems with with your assessment there. Yeah, uh, so we agree there on Minshew and Stafford, both great options in that game with a high total. My next guy is going to be uh, Kirk Cousins. Uh, we'll see if he likes that this week. I I have no uh, doubts that he likes this matchup against the Atlanta Falcons here. Look, there's no Dan Quinn, so this might fire up them. But no Dan Quinn is not going to cure this god-awful secondary overnight. And the cousins Thielen connection looks stronger than ever. Justin Jefferson should have a field day against this uh, 
bad secondary, just running all kinds of routes here, flying around the field in this dome. Look, I'm on Cousins in tournaments. We know they might try to run the ball here with Madison a lot, but I think he can hit some big plays in the play action. We know Cousins is a really accurate deep ball thrower. And, man, if Thielen and Jefferson can get loose for some deep balls here, as I think they will against this terrible secondary, I think Cousins definitely has some big-time upside here at 6,100. Yeah, I mean, I said I thought this game might be a sneaky shootout. If you agree, then Cousins at 6,100. All he needs to do is hit a couple deep bombs, and and Jefferson and Thielen are, are both – both liable to do that. So is Ola B.C. Johnson, who is their number three receiver, who doesn't really see much playing time, but he's also a deep threat. They're, Kirk Cousins is at 6,100. He's better than what he's played this year. And so I think going forward, th- this price tag is going to get him talked about on this segment a, a, a fair amount. Yeah, I definitely agree. Uh, speaking of guys talked about on this segment a fair amount, Look, I promise I'm not just like randomly recommending Ryan Fitzpatrick every single week. I'm not going to recommend Ryan Fitzpatrick every single week, but look, he's hot right now and he's got a matchup at home against the Jets. So I'm going to recommend Ryan Fitzpatrick again at 5,900. Look, Fitz is not ready to give this job up to Tua quite yet. He's been absolutely rolling lately. He's put up 25 plus DraftKings points in four straight games. I mean, that is one stat you can't deny. He's come through in your lineup for you four weeks in a row now, and I think it happens again for a fifth straight week in a great matchup here, 5,900. Look, I'm going to go back to the well here. You can mock me if you want to. I'm probably going to get burned eventually, but I'm going to keep recommending Fitzpatrick in these good spots until I really feel like I shouldn't be anymore. Well, one thing I will say about Aaron is that he he puts his money where his mouth is. Sometimes, you know, we recommend recommend so many names on here because – there are so many different ways the the week can play out and we try to give everybody enough options to where, you know, if, if you don't like a certain player, you, you have other options to go to and, and, and we try to talk our way through them. I think every time he has recommended Ryan Fitzpatrick, I have seen him legitimately slot him into a lineup and so far it's worked out for him. So I, I want to mock it because it's Ryan Fitzpatrick, but it's been working so far. And so I will hold off until inevitably he has a bad week, and then I will mock you relentlessly. But then I don't want you to just hold off until you can mock me. I want you to join me on the Fitzmagic train, Ben. I want to see you make a tournament lineup with Fitzpatrick this week. Let's just win all the money together. I don't want you to just blindly wait and just say you don't hate it. I want you to join me on this. Come on, man. What else do I have to do? 25 straight, 25 points and four straight. Come on now. <laughs> It, it's a good point, and with that, I think I'm pretty much done with talking quarterbacks with you. So <laughs> <laughs> we can go ahead and move on to running back. Where, all right, it's there's no secret. Derrick Henry is up here at the top of the running back chart at 7,300. This is the pay up lock of the slate if you have the money. In my humble opinion, Houston has of course been horrible against the run all year. They, last time we recorded, they were giving up 180 yards per game on the ground. Uh, James Robinson did not have a great week last week. They kind of locked him down after the departure of Bill O'Brien, but that definitely seems like more of a one-off. I think that the reason I didn't highlight Ryan Tannehill at 5,900 in our previous section is because they should, the, the Titans should, be able to just be carried by Derrick Henry all the way down the field. Houston star middle linebacker Bernardrick McKinney just had shoulder surgery. He was their big run stopper. I see no way that Derrick Henry does not eclipse 100 yards this week. 
7,300 isn't even that much. I mean, it's, it's a lot, but it's not McCaffrey money. I in cash, if you're paying up for running back, you should be paying up for Derrick Henry. Yeah. I would tend to agree with you here. Um, He's definitely my favorite running back out of all the high price guys. You can't argue with the matchup. The only thing I worry about with Henry is just the stupid thing that he just played on Tuesday. So, I mean, how many touches are they really going to want to give him? I mean, I will note he only got 19 carries on Tuesday, which is a pretty small amount for Derrick Henry, who is usually in the upper 20s or low 30s in carries. So maybe coming off only 19 carries on Tuesday, he is ready for another, you know, 25 plus carry week. Uh, He probably will. It was probably more of a game script thing. So if they are leading here against Houston, like you think they will be, there's certainly no flaws in this play. Uh, Look, here for running back, we are going to be recommending a lot less guys than we normally do. We think running back is pretty condensed this week. You know, we're both kind of in on this same strategy, and that strategy is going to be pay up for Derrick Henry and then mix in some cheaper RB2s that we really like this week. But, yeah, I mean, I'm with you. If we're paying up at running back this week, I think Derrick Henry just has to be the guy, and I'm probably playing him in my cash game for sure. I would agree. I'm actually – very tempted to go with two of our lower priced running backs and pay up elsewhere on the slate. But, but we can definitely discuss that uh, once we get through these names here. And I think the second one that we, that we for sure agree on is going to be David Montgomery at $5,800. And you'll notice there's a huge jump here from 7,300 to 5,800. I don't see a whole lot of options. I like up there. I mean, Madison and Connor are fine. If you're really looking for tournament pivots off of Derrick Henry, those guys are both, good football players who are capable of of turning in positive value at the seven at the seven thousand dollar mark but i'm gonna skip all the way down to david montgomery at 5800 it's just he's an rb1 for the bears the panthers defense is not good he it, he feels undervalued he's explosive enough he can catch passes i don't see anything wrong with david montgomery here Yeah, I mean, look, the matchup versus the Panthers this week, the Panthers have been absolutely brutal so far against the running back position this uh, this year. David Montgomery, uh, he's been really involved in the passing game. He had seven targets last week. Man, if we can get seven targets out of David Montgomery, that finally increases uh, the ceiling for him as well as it increases the floor. I think Montgomery is going to fall into the end zone here a couple of times. I think he's an awesome play here against the Panthers. If the Bears can get the lead, they're going to use him to pound the rock uh, and try to salt the game away. If they fall behind, he might get some catches. Look, I think the Bears are going to be able to move the ball finally. They haven't done much of that this year, but David Montgomery is their guy, and I think he's going to be the guy that falls in the end zone and definitely gets you a nice, steady RB2 um, stat line this week. I definitely like him in cash as an RB2. Yeah, yeah. I mean, no, we we totally agree on on David Johnson. I think the the next guy that I want to talk about is going to be Miles Gaskin at fifty four hundred. I'm going to go ahead and, and skip skip a guy that I know you want to talk about, but Miles Gaskin and David Montgomery I think might be my two cash running backs, which means I'm going pretty cheap at the position. But Gaskin at fifty four hundred this week is it just seems like the most value that there is on the slate. He, he plays all downs. He can catch a touchdown if you need him to. He's going to get 15 or more carries against a Jets defense that is just horrible at, at the game of football. He has gotten four targets in every game this year to go along with all of the – to go with all those carries. Just – I think it's super value, 5,400. Jordan Howard is now hurt, so it is just – or he's not hurt. He's a, he's a healthy and active. 
So it is Miles Gaskins' backfield for Miami, and and I, I could easily see him having 100 yards from scrimmage and a touchdown or maybe even more. Yeah, I fully agree with you here on Miles Gaskin. I think I like him more in tournaments just because I think he will be sneaky, and I think he has more of a tournament upside type field to him. Um, don't play him in the same lineup as you're playing Ryan Fitzpatrick. If you're going to take my Ryan Fitzpatrick advice, I would definitely separate and play them in different lineups just because based on game script. But yeah, I mean, the thing with Gaskin is I really loved how they just finally gave up on Jordan Howard last week and said, we're going to commit to Miles Gaskin on the goal line. So the, t- the touchdown upside is there. We know the passing game upside is there. He's getting all the usage. So yeah, Miles Gaskin, 5,400. I'm definitely going to go back to him here. And one other guy I like in this range is going to be Antonio Gibson. We talked about him before, the running back for the Washington football team. He's the rookie out of Memphis. He's a really explosive running back. He has good pass-catching ability. Look, we saw Kyle Allen draw the start for the football team last week. He came out just peppering Gibson with targets in the first quarter, but then Allen was forced to leave the game. And whenever uh, Alex Smith came in, he uh, uh, Gibson randomly disappeared, so... That was a little questionable. Didn't really love that. But Kyle Allen is back healthy, so he will be back under center this week. Gibson's snaps have been increasing throughout the year. He's getting the ball around the end zone now. He's scored touchdowns in multiple games now. He's really talented. I think this could finally be the breakout week. It's a nice matchup against the Giants. He's going to be involved in the game script either way. I really like him if the football team falls behind here, so... Yeah, I think we finally could see 20-plus from Antonio Gibson here against uh, against the Giants in this matchup. Yeah, I, I like the Gibson call. And, and I will just say that since Aaron and I sort of happened to agree on basically everything on at running back here, that tells me that maybe a lot some of these guys might be a little chalky if it's, you know, if it's so common sense for these for the guys we talked about. So if Leonard Fournette happens to be out, I think Ronald Jones is a great tournament pivot off one of these low-end guys if you have a little bit more money to spend. I already mentioned Madison and Connor both have chances to, to be very, very good. But, but you know, we, we mentioned it. There's there's not very many running backs we like this week. And so, really, there's, there's only four. And so, with that, we can we can move on to wideout, which is completely loaded this week. Wideout is where you're going to be able to make a lot of lineup decisions. Yeah, and if you're going with some of these cheap running backs that really that we really like, I mean, definitely one of my favorite tournament builds is going to be two of the cheap running backs we just talked about. And then, man, just load up on some of these wide receivers. There's a lot of good ones. But, uh, yeah, I'll let you take it here at the top with the man that is wide receiver one in fantasy football right now. Yeah, it's it's Adam Thielen, and he's not even the most expensive wide out on this, on this slate. He's, he's $7,300. If you're going to take two of those affordable running backs, you should be able to pay up here, and I'm definitely not opposed to it being for Adam Thielen. He's, it looks like he's back to getting these huge chunk yardage plays, and he's also getting goal line targets again, especially against bad defenses, which the Falcons certainly represent. So I think that Thielen is a great cash option, especially if you took those high-floor running backs that, that we talked about, 7,300. Just He's put up 29 fantasy points in back-to-back weeks. He could, he could definitely do it again. Yeah, I mean, you will get zero arguments from me against Adam Thielen this week. I'm I'm definitely agreeing with you on that one. Uh, my next guy that I like is going to be Will Fuller. Look, Will Fuller is 6,800 this week, which, uh, okay, well, first off, we have to do the Will Fuller disclaimer. At this very moment in time, we're under the assumption that Will Fuller is alive, healthy, and ready to play Sunday against the Tennessee Titans. 
Ham- right. hamstrings, hamstrings intact, everything. Yep. So now that we got the disclaimer out of the way. He's 6,800. People are going to think 6,800 for Will Fuller is a lot. That is because it is. But I believe in this uh, Texans passing attack this week. If the price is going to move people off of Will Fuller, then I really like it because with the you know low price running back combo, you can afford the Deshaun Watson Will Fuller stack. Maybe it comes in low owned just because of Will Fuller's price. And if it does, I really like it in tournaments. I think it's fine in cash, but yeah, I think Will Fuller, the 40 burger is still coming. He's been really solid this year. Uh, the high floor, which has not been there in the past, has been there this year. And I still think we're waiting on the ceiling game. And I think it could be this week we could get two or three touchdowns from Will Fuller. Yeah, I don't hate the Will Fuller pick. My 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 only reservation is that Tennessee has a has a fairly good secondary, and more to the point, they have a fast secondary. Um, a lot of those guys have the speed to keep up with Will Fuller, but Will Fuller is is a top twenty wideout when he's healthy and and especially if the price is going to move him off in a Texan stack, you definitely have to throw him in your lineup. Uh, I, I have written down here Julio Jones for 6,700, which is the cheapest Julio Jones has been in probably years. And I don't really want to argue too much about this one because we already mentioned how I, I'm a little higher on Matt Ryan than, than Aaron is. I know Julio Jones has looked bad. I know Matt Ryan has looked bad, but it's Julio Jones for less than seven grand. So I'm probably going to go with with some simplicity on this one. There's no injury designation at all this week. He should be healthy. The drop should be behind him. I'm willing to attribute Matt Ryan's ineffectiveness to all of his missing weapons. So give me another week of this offense at full strength. If it still looks bad, I'll go ahead and concede. I'll say that, you know, one of Julio or Matt Ryan is probably washed and I'll stay away in the future. But I think this is the week where they, they, they show up again and they show that they are not in fact washed. Yeah. I mean, I don't really want to argue about it either. What I've seen from my eyeballs is going to scare me off of Julio and cash, but sub seven K Julio and tournaments in a good matchup. It's obviously a good tournament play, so I'm definitely going to agree with you there. Um, we both like Chris Godwin this week, especially in cash. He's 6,400. Um, I actually like the matchup a little bit for Screen Bay. They haven't really played against a great passing attack yet this year. The one decent offense that the Packers have played against this year was the Saints, and Michael Thomas didn't play in that game. Godwin has had a lot of time off here getting that hamstring healthy, so I think he was probably finally good to go. Hopefully he's built up a little bit of a relationship with Brady because Godwin is a guy you would think would fit with Brady really well. So, uh, yeah, I think I really like Godwin here in cash. I think you agree with me, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I would take him over Mike Evans uh, at in this matchup at a discount for sure. He's Godwin is just so matchup proof with his physicality and his route running. Definitely 6,400 Godwin is, is a good bet. But there are so many good bets even further below him that if, if you're not taking Chris Godwin, you have so many options as we're going to get into here. I know that you really like Devontae Parker this week being the Ryan Fitzmagic whisperer that you are. <laughs> yeah, uh, I mean, look, if I'm going to play Fitz, then I'm just going to go ahead and go all in and just pair him with Devontae Parker. Devontae Parker is his guy. Uh, we know Mike Gusecki gets a little bit of use. We can get to him a little later, but Parker is Fitzpatrick's main guy. It's a great matchup here versus the Jets. There's multiple touchdown upside whenever these two guys get in a good matchup, which they are here. So, yeah, I mean, if I'm rolling out Fitz, then I'm definitely going to pair him with Devontae Parker. 
And I definitely am fine with playing Parker all alone, even without Fitzpatrick as well. All right, Aaron. Kenny Galladay is only $100 less at $6,200. Can you, listener, can you guess who the new owner of the dead last 32nd ranked defensive DVOA against the pass is? It happens to be the Jacksonville Jaguars. And if you knew that, you must be listening to a lot of cash landing because we love Kenny Galladay. We love picking against the Jaguars. He's only 6,200. This man is a top 10 real life receiver. And I am probably locking Kenny Galladay into every single lineup I'm, I'm making. Yeah, I would agree with you here. I don't see myself making a lineup this week that doesn't have Kenny Galladay in it. Um, unless I'm trying to just get real fancy, but I think he's the best value play on the entire board this week. It's it's only a matter of time till he's going to be priced in the 7K with the other elite receivers because that's where he belongs. Look, Stafford loves Kenny Galladay. He loves him for good reason. The guy's just a beast. There is absolutely nobody in this Jaguars secondary to slow him down. Marvin Jones is healthy, so that will keep a little bit of the double teams away from Galladay. I mean, I just don't know how you don't love Galladay this week. Stafford Galladay connection is back, and I'm with you, Ben. There is not a cash landing podcast lineup going out this week without Kenny Galladay, I think. Yeah, it's just amazing how we and everybody else, like everybody in the fantasy football industry, keeps expecting some sort of touchdown regression from Kenny Galladay because there's just no way that he catches a touchdown a week for his entire career. But then he just keeps doing it every single week that he's healthy. He has, he has, he had a touchdown in the first week he was healthy, and then a touchdown in the second week he was healthy, and he's only been healthy for two weeks this year. So this is a cupcake matchup. He's probably going to catch a touchdown. Any yardage on top of that is gravy, especially at sixty two hundred dollars, which is really not even that expensive. It's just it. It seems like a no brainer to me. Yeah, I think it is a no brainer. I don't think we should overthink Kenny Galladay here. And speaking of guys scoring touchdowns. I'm putting my foot down this week. I just have a feeling in my gut. Scary Terry McLaurin, wide receiver for the football team, is scoring a touchdown this week against the Giants. Um, It's a good matchup here versus the Giants. Terry's a really talented wide receiver. He's only 5,700. And look, this is a gut call. I'm, I'm touting Terry McLaurin this week. I think he's scoring a touchdown. And I would not be surprised if he scores two and puts up 100 yards in a game that either has the potential to turn into a shootout just because both these teams are bad, and if not, the football team could be trailing. I think either way, no matter what the game script is, Terry McLaurin is going to be involved, and Benny scoring a touchdown this week. He's scoring a touchdown this week. That's all there is to it. I, I think it's an ambitious call for sure against James Bradbury, who has been extremely good all year, the the cornerback number one for the Giants. I definitely think it's possible. I'm not saying it's a it's a bad call in the in the least, and I and I definitely love the price. Terry McLaurin at 5700, coming off a bad week where he got locked down by Jalen Ramsey. 5700 is just a great price, but I, I I don't love the matchup. I'm I'm certainly staying away in cash. I would I would probably lock and load him in a few tournament lineups for sure. You're not getting very many wide receiver ones at this price, but I, I love the call. I, I love the confidence for sure. Yeah, I mean, I'm definitely going to lock him in this week. I mean, I'm not going to lock him in. I definitely agree he's more of a tournament play than cash. But yeah, he's one of my more he's one of my favorite tournament plays on the board here at wide receiver because I do think he can come in a low ownership, and the talent is just way more than the price would indicate. Speaking of talent being way more than what the price would indicate, 
we've got AJ Brown here at $5,600. And the first time I saw it, I immediately just kind of thought, well, holy shit, because this is extremely cheap for AJ Brown, who is, you know, also one of the premier receivers in this league, as he showed easily in his, in his rookie season. There's been some whispers through the grapevine that Bradley Roby was extremely locked down against DJ Chark last week, that he's been locking down elite wide receivers at a fairly consistent rate this year. So I'm going to say, you know, I mean, if you're scared off by Bradley Roby after he just locked down DJ Chark, that's fine. There's enough wide receiver on the slate. It probably won't even matter. Lineup construction is paramount to success in such a volatile and ever-changing. All right. Are, are, are they gone? All the weenies out there who are scared of Bradley freaking Roby. AJ Brown at $5,600 is an absolute lock. I'm putting him in cash. I'm putting him in tournaments. I'm putting it in everything. AJ Brown, $5,600. He just scored 20 fantasy points last week coming off the injury. I don't see how he scores less than that against a horrible Texan secondary. And 5600 is just so cheap for AJ Brown. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned it coming off the injury. We do have to see how he bounces back in the short week, but all the reports are that he's fine. It's definitely a good matchup. This game does have shootout potential. I mean, the Bradley Roby stuff is weird. There's a lot of smart people that are very confident in Bradley Roby, and they don't think A.J. Brown is the way to go this week. That is scaring me off a little, so I might be just a little bit of a weenie, but I do probably agree he's a good tournament play. However... I do not think he's a better tournament play in Terry McLaurin. So, Ben, I pose the question. Are you interested in a Terry McLaurin versus A.J. Brown, DraftKings points, gentlemen's bet? I am so interested. Go ahead and lock it in. Friendly reminder, I am 2-1 and one in our gentlemen's bets so far this year. Aaron's looking to even it up with Terry McLaurin against A.J. Brown, DraftKings fantasy points. Yep, so that'll be an easy one to keep track of. Looking forward to see how that one goes. Um Look, the next guy here is going to be Chase Claypool at 5,200. We really apologize that we could not see the future last week and know that Deontay Johnson was going to get injured, and we could not tell you that Chase Claypool was going to immediately score four freaking touchdowns and break the entire slate wide open. But the good news has been this week we do know Deontay Johnson is out, and Chase Claypool is going to be back at it again. He's going to get a lot of targets here. Um you know, it's a really fair price, 5200 He's going to get a lot of ownership here in a matchup versus the Browns. But at the end of the day, I really like the nickname Mapletron. That is a sick nickname. So for that reason alone, I might be okay with eating the chalk here at 5200 for a guy that is just super talented. Yeah, he's, he's going to be chalky, especially coming off the week that he's coming off of. I, I honestly like him in cash. I like him in tournaments. I have no problem with Chase Claypool. The Mapletron nickname is is super cool. I I didn't even hear that that like I never heard that nickname. It's way better than the Maple Mamba for sure. <laughs> that was just horrible. RJ Barry got shafted on that one. But <laughs> Chase Claypool fifty two hundred. That's a good play. Another good play around that price range is going to be Brandon Cooks at five thousand. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and let this podcast serve as your gentle reminder that besides that weird twenty nineteen Rams offense that had just no idea what it wanted to do. Brandon Cooks has never gone under a thousand receiving yards in a single season for his entire career. So despite his reputation as an injury prone sort of boomer bust guy, because he's small and fast, he has never been that he's a very reliable contributor. It's just a whole lot of head injuries that make people think that. And in between all of these, you know, weird head and head injuries, he can represent some serious value, especially at five grand. He broke the slate last week, scoring 38 DraftKings fantasy points. 
or I'm sorry, 33 DraftKings fantasy points, and he can do it again. So I'd be a little a little hesitant to throw him out there in cash, but honestly, not that much. And I would love to let him fly in tournaments. I mean, in a Texan stack, getting Will Fuller at probably low ownership and then Brandon Cooks in your tournament, that can win you a lot of money if if the Texans air attack has has a good week. Yeah, and I mentioned I'm in on that air attack that you just talked about, so I'm definitely in on Brandon Cooks in tournaments. Um, I still can't get the goose egg out of my head, so I'm probably not going to go there in cash. But yeah, 5000 for Brandon Cooks. The Titans have been pretty bad against wide receiver twos this year. So yeah, Brandon Cooks is a really good play here in tournaments at just $5,000. Uh, yeah, I'm definitely going to have some Texan stacks, and in tournaments, Brandon Cooks is going to be a big part of those. I agree. Let, let me ask you, how do you feel about you, – you're the Fitzpatrick guy. How do you feel about a Preston Williams tournament flyer at 4,700? He's uh, he, he's the number two, and it and it. I'm sorry, he, he's the number two against Devonte Parker. I don't know why I wrote down Devonte Adams. He's the number two to Devonte Parker, obviously, and is against the Jets. He had a good week last week, but it was only five targets. So in a similar spot as Brandon Cooks. What 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 are you thinking? Yeah, so I think the price is definitely nice here. Um, in cash, I'm a little scared just because there is a chance that the Dolphins just go way up in this game, which is weird to say, but the Dolphins are way better than the Jets. So the game script could indicate they try to just take the ball out of Fitzpatrick's turnover-prone hands. So I'm not going there in cash. But as a tourney flyer, I think he's an okay tournament flyer. I don't think he hits 30 points this, this entire year. So like, there's not a mega ceiling. But I would, he, would I be really surprised if he scores 20 points? No. So I think he's a fine tournament flyer, but I don't think you have to force it in your lineups or anything. Yeah, that, that's fair. I, I didn't. I didn't really have a gauge either way. I really did just want to kind of throw it over to you. Yeah, yeah. So I'm not completely out or completely in. I'm kind of just eh on Preston Williams, but we do have to mention Travis Fulgham at 4,400 because Ben, this man came out of nowhere this year. He literally no one even knew who he was, and he came out and got 13 targets which he parlayed into 10 catches for 150 yards and a touchdown against the mighty Steelers defense. So you might say, Travis Fulgham, I don't want to play him against the Ravens, even if he is going to be, you know, this guy that just had all these targets and catches. But look, if he did it against the Steelers, he can probably do it against the Ravens as well. Deshaun Jackson is out again. Alshon Jeffrey has not played this year and he will not play this week. I guess he could see another 13 targets, Ben. I mean, it's going to be him or Greg Ward, I feel like. Yeah, it it really it almost does feel like on at least one of your tournaments you should throw in just one of these Eagles wide receivers because the targets have to go somewhere and for some reason they are not going to Zach Ertz. So, I uh, you know receivers like this pop up all the time, guys who you've absolutely never heard of, and then they have a few really good weeks and they establish themselves in the league. Travis Fulgham definitely sounds like a guy who could do that. I'm still not a hundred percent sure he exists, but <laughs> for forty four hundred. Just if you have forty four hundred dollars left in your lineup, I don't know where else you would go. So I, I expect a, sort of a, a fair amount of people to actually have Travis Fulgham in their tournament lineups for sure. Yeah, and I I think we definitely have to consider it. I mean, I think he if he's going to be chalky, I definitely you know would be inclined to fade him just because he is Travis Fulgham going against the Ravens, and if that's going to be chalk, I have no problem fading that. But I think he definitely has to be in consideration just because. 
of what he did last week, and he's in a similar spot this week. So there's no denying, you know, what happened. But uh, with that, are you ready to move on to tight end? Yeah, I'd love to move on to tight end, and I'm just going to start it off real quick. Mark Andrews is 6,500. We talked about how there's so much running back and wide receiver value. I mean, we just went over a lot of cheap names that we both really like. Uh, I'm going to look pretty heavily at Mark Andrews this week. Tight end is not good at all this week. There's not many names I, I enjoy. So Mark, I'm going to look for Mark Andrews to get his patented two touchdowns. Philadelphia can't cover tight ends, so it's certainly feasible this week. I'm going to just try and scrap and save for Mark Andrews as much as I can, and I usually do not like paying up for tight ends on these on these DraftKings slates. Yeah, but I mean, I, I agree with you on Mark Andrews, mostly because tight end has just been brutal this entire year, man. I mean, especially trying to find cheap tight ends. I mean, none of it has worked out so far this year, so I almost think it's turning into a pay-up position just so you know what you're going to get out of your better tight ends. But, man, tight end has been a struggle this year, so I am inclined to pay up for Mark Andrews. Another more expensive tight end who I'm inclined to play is going to be Jonu Smith. We talked about how this Titans-Texans game has potential to kind of turn into a shootout possibly. I think Johnny Smith is just a really, really good NFL tight end. He seems to have a really nice connection with Ryan Tannehill. This is a good matchup. So I'm definitely going to roll out a lot of Johnny Smith, who I think gets in the end zone this week. I also like Mike Gusecki, who is right above him. So I think they're kind of in the same category. I like Johnny Smith a little more if you force him to pick one, but I'm also fine with Mike Gusecki at 5,300. Yeah, I, I have no I have no problem with that, I, and I think Gusecki might have a really good week. Um, I I like Eric Ebron at, at forty one hundred. If we're if we're going down there, I think Ebron is going to end up being sort of a safety valve this week in the passing attack with Deontay Johnson out. He had six targets last game under those circumstances. So I mean, with six targets, you're definitely going to hope for one of these catches being a touchdown. But he is a red zone threat, and you know I mean you used to just play him only hoping he would score the touchdown. So at 4,100, I, I, I definitely like the upside. And then just as a budget option this week, I'm fine. I mean, Drew Sample and Logan Thomas, the guys who we always champion, they both have really bad matchups. So I'm going to go with Trey Burton at 3,100. I don't know what happened to Jack Doyle, baby hands, but it appears as though Trey Burton has taken his job with Mo Ali Cox now out. So Burton should be in line for just a steady diet of targets from Phillip Rivers, who we know that Phillip Rivers loves two things in this world. One of them is throwing to his tight end and the others is, is walking into his home nursery. So <laughs> I think Trey Burton sets just a decent enough floor for the low price tag. It's only 3,100. It probably won't kill you. Yeah. I don't hate either one of those plays. Um, Eric Ebron, he fumbled two drives in a row last week. That's not really what you like to see out of your big, you know, big-bodied tight end. He's supposed to be sure-handed, but yeah. If yeah, but the especially the second fumble was such a fluke. Like, I mean, there you can't even be mad at the way the second fumble happened. He, I mean, he was he was landing and had barely secured the ball, and then like a third defender came from behind him and just put his helmet right on the football. I mean, there's just nothing you can do about that. Yeah, no, I mean, I'm not hating on the play at all. I just I I want to mention there was a player out there that fumbled twice in two possessions and he wasn't on the chargers. So, you know, that's just worth mentioning. <laughs> that's pretty good. <laughs> that seems like something only a chargers player could pull off, but it didn't happen. So I wanted to get it out there, but yeah, I mean, look, we're pretty condensed at tight end this week. We're pretty condensed at running back. 
So, you know, we're either all going to get rich together or we're all going to bubble together or we're all going to lose. But if we either bubble or lose, it might be okay. It's not okay because we're trying to give out winners, but we are going to have you covered with some more winning bets. We talked about the success last week. We were eager to get ready for to do some more bets this week. Ben, you want to start it off here with your top bet, man? How are you feeling this week about your picks overall? I feel I feel pretty solid about my picks. Um, I don't know if this is really my top bet. I wouldn't. I, I I think my I have the most confidence in my big teaser, but I'm gonna save that because I'm gonna go full homer pick here because a little homer pick never hurt nobody. <laughs> I'm gonna go Astros money line at minus 105 against the Rays for Game Seven. They are slight favorites, so I, I certainly don't feel bad taking this homer pick if it's if they're going to be favorited anyways. I'm going to bet $100 to win 95 here. Both these teams have two starters available to use. The edge definitely goes Tampa's way, but the lineup definitely goes the Astros' way. It's going to be a fun game. It's all just going to end up being can the Astros put up five or more runs. So I think the Rays are just going to be so nervous that they're going to be a punchline forever if they lose after going up 3-0 in the series. I think the momentum is all in the Astros' favor. I feel very confident throwing $100 down on the on the good guys for me, the bad guys for everybody else. Yeah, um, I actually do like that number specifically. I would have expected the Astros to be like minus 120 if I were going to just guess what the line was going to be. So I think you are getting a little bit of value there at minus 105 just – with the two things I talked about, the momentum and the experience. So I do agree with you there on that first bet. My first bet of the week is going to be the Detroit Lions minus three at the Jacksonville Jaguars. I'm going to bet $110 to win 100. So just your standard against the spread minus 110 bet. Look, the Lions are coming off a bye. This seems like the absolute perfect spot to get uh, this season turned around. This seems like a good spot for Stafford and Galladay to light it up once again like we've seen them do it here in the past. I think the offense really gets going here. I think the defense might be able to give Jacksonville a little bit of trouble, maybe, um, if they're able to get a lead and kind of unleash some different type of pass rushes. So, yeah, I mean, I think coming off the bye week, I really like them. I think they win by double digits here and easily cover the minus three here in Jacksonville. Yeah, that's I, I really like that bet, and I actually like that bet so much that I put it in one of my parlays. Um, my my first parlay for the week is is going to be the Lions minus three at 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 minus one ten, um, and I'm gonna go ahead and throw it in a parlay with the Steelers money line against the Browns at minus two hundred. So this bet is gonna be another hundred dollar bet. I'm gonna be winning one hundred and eighty six dollars on this one if it cashes. I expect some big plays from the Steelers playmakers against Cleveland's just mediocre pass defense. And then I expect this dominant Steelers defense to hold steady. It's going to be a bad week for Baker Mayfield and Odell Beckham. We know that Odell Beckham has been super boomer bust lately. I think Baker is just chased around by these pass rushers all day. And uh, I, I feel fairly confident in both of these lines. So I like parlaying them together. Yeah, um, I definitely like those, especially since one of them is, you know, the bet that I listed, you thief. Uh, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I also have the Steelers coming up a little bit later. So yeah, I definitely agree with you there on that one. Um, my next one here is going to be a two team six point teaser. Look, I've had good luck on teasers so far this year. So if you're going to tell me on anything, I recommend you tell me on my six point teasers and my, this, my teaser this week is going to be the bears from plus one all the way up to plus seven. And it's going to be the Tampa Bay Buccaneers from plus one all the way up to plus seven. 
I'm going to bet $120 to win 100 that both of those come through. Look, the Packers offense has been amazing this year, but this is by far their biggest test against the Buccaneers defense, which is number two in defensive DVOA. I really like the Buccaneers defense. I think they might be able to give Rodgers some fits here without his full receiving core available to him. And then on the other side, Tom Brady does have all of his weapons available to him. He's got Godwin. He's got Mike Evans. He's got Scotty Miller. The Green Bay defense is 29th in DVOA on defense, and they are untested. So I really like uh, Tom Brady here. I like this Tampa Bay team as a whole. I'm not out on them off a weird loss against the Bears. So, yeah, I think the Buccaneers actually win this game. So give me the plus seven there. And then the other part of this teaser is the Bears. Look, my thinking here is the total in this game is just 44 and a half. So that's a really low total. Vegas is expecting a low scoring game. So if we're going to go with that theory, which I agree with, is if it's going to be low scoring, I think it's really hard for the Bears to lose by more than a touchdown here, especially since they should be able to move the ball. They should be able to control the clock and they should be able to give uh, Teddy Two Gloves some fits here just because the Bears defense is solid once again this year. So, yeah, that's going to be my teaser for this week. Man, we are we are agreeing on a lot of things. I'm going to go ahead and and just mention my teaser now because I also have the Bears. Mine are actually going to be teased up six and a half points. So it's going to be the Bears plus seven and a half at, at Carolina. Um this is going to be an all away team teaser. It's going to be the Bears, Carolina. I'm sorry, the Bears at Carolina, the football team at the Giants, and the Texans at the Titans all teased up six and a half points. So it's not something I would normally do to take all away teams, but I have a lot more confidence in it with a with this fanless COVID world where the away team doesn't doesn't have to face the pressure that they normally would. Um, I'm taking two of the lower totals on the board with two good defenses in the Bears and the football team. So they should stay in these games, and I'm getting a lot of points here. And then, uh, you know, Aaron talked about it. The Titans are coming off the shortest week of rest that basically has ever happened with this new weird COVID rule set. So I definitely like all three of these teams, especially given the points. This is going to be my big bet for the week. I'm betting 200 to win 270, teasing all three of these teams up. Six and a half points in a parlay. There it is. Look at that. I've got you on the teaser train. Uh, you're you're a natural with the teasers, Ben. So I hope that one comes through for you. Um, we mentioned it earlier. I Last year when we did our segment on our show, uh, we gave out our big three picks every week. I had a rule that I just don't even involve Titans games in that segment. I'm going to break that rule right now just because of the whole COVID situation. I really like the Texans plus three and a half here against Tennessee this week. I'm going to bet $110 to win 100 that the Texans can keep it within a field goal here. Look, this is an extremely short week here for the Titans. Ben just talked about it. I talked about Watson will have time to throw with uh, Tennessee getting absolutely no pressure on the quarterback this year. Um, Houston is free of Bill O'Brien. I think they're able to cover the spread again like they did last week. So, yeah, give me the Texans plus three and a half this week. Yeah, I, I I don't hate it. I don't know. I still just don't believe in the Texans very much, but I think this week is, is going to show us a lot. I think one of my favorite bets from this week that I just saw on the board was the Ravens-Eagles over. It's set at 47 points. Um, I'm going to use my last $100 here, so I'm betting $100 to win 95 on a minus 105 over. 
last week we talked about how the Ravens were just going to chew clock all over the Bengals and run all over them, and you should take the under because it's all going to be ground game and it's going to take time. I don't think that that is going to be the case in this game. I expect some Carson Wentz turnovers. He's already at eight interceptions, which is his season high in his career, and it's only week six. So I think those interceptions are going to lead to quick points for the Ravens. I think some air touchdowns from Lamar Jackson are going to happen because Philadelphia has a decent run defense and Fletcher Cox is healthy and and there, there's really noth- nothing missing from the defense. But there is stuff missing from the offensive line, so Carson Wentz will just be forced into turnovers a lot. I think the turnovers are going to help, but Philadelphia should still be able to put up about 17 points in between all of it, and I think the Ravens are going to be closer to 40 just because of how much they're winning the field position game. So, you know, if, if I'm really expecting something like a 38-17 to 17 score, then I'm expecting this game to go way over, and so I'm, I'm going to take the over here. Yeah, I don't hate that at all. I think there is a decent chance that game goes over. You just got to hope those turnovers do lead to touchdowns and not field goals. So red zone offense is going to be a big thing in that game there. Um, My last bet of the week is going to be my biggest bet of the week. And it's actually going to be a big money line parlay. And it's going to be the Arizona Cardinals, the Pittsburgh Steelers, and the Baltimore Ravens. All they have to do is just win outright. I'm going to bet my remaining $160 to win 388 so this is a pretty aggressive bet for me here. But look, I'm going to make an aggressive bet when I believe in these teams, and I do believe in all three of these teams. The Ravens are not losing against the Eagles. I think that's just a lock. They're going to be up in Carson Wentz's face all day, just like Ben just talked about. The Steelers at home against Cleveland. This should be a really fun game against these teams that are really hot right now in a division matchup that is really important for both teams. I just I like Pittsburgh in this game. I believe in their defense. That is number seven in defensive DVOA right now. I think they slow down the explosive Cleveland run game. I think they force Baker Mayfield to make plays under pressure, and I don't think Baker Mayfield is capable of making big plays under pressure here on the road against a really good Steelers defense. So I think the Pittsburgh squeaks that one out. And then I'm going to go with Arizona Cardinals here on Monday Night Football in Jerry World against the Dallas Cowboys. I think this is going to turn into a shootout. I like Andy Dalton in this offense, but I don't think he has enough to keep up with what DeAndre Hopkins and Kyler Murray is about to do to this um, Cowboys secondary. I think Kyler has an absolute huge game in the air throwing to DeAndre Hopkins. I think Kyler has a big game on the ground, just scrambling around, making plays on the turf there in Jerry World. I think the Cardinals come out with a win against the Dakless Dallas Cowboys. So yeah, give me the... Cardinals, Steelers, and Ravens for a money line parlay. 160 to win 388. I really like the odds I'm getting right there. Yeah, I mean that that's a lot of money. And and I mean, in my opinion, it's it's basically just gonna come down to the Cardinals. I think the Ravens and Steelers are are as close to locks as you can get for the odds that they're giving you, at least. So um uh, me and you are both gonna be paying very careful attention to that Monday night game for sure. Um one last thing I want to say before we, before we wrap up, we've now spent all of our weekly allowance of $500 is that you, you'll notice that at the, at the beginning of the year, these, you know, weeks one through four, especially we were differing a lot on our opinions. And I think now we have a lot of the same opinions. I think that's sort of going to be consistent as we get more of an idea of what's going on with all of these teams. So, you know, where we, where it's, it's certainly fun to, to argue over, <laughs> over some of the things that we see and some of the things that we think, I think that 
us coming together and agreeing on things is probably the clearest indicator that that those bets may be the way to go. Yeah, I would agree with you. And I wouldn't, you know, we give out like, you know, usually eight or nine bets every week. You don't obviously have to tail all of them. You get to pick and choose the one you like the most, which is why we give out a variety. But uh, yeah, man, I mean, we talked about it. We did not lose a bet last week. We, we're not saying we're going to do that again, but there's always a chance we're just getting really hot. So yeah, hopefully good luck to us this week. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. And and with that being said, um, I think that's probably it for us. There were little te- technical difficulties on this show, but it is, it's definitely going to be fixed next time. I am finally moving into a new house, so that that's exciting. But I just want to thank all of the, uh, all you guys for your continued listenership. Uh, feel free to Interact with us at Cash Landing Pod on Twitter. Uh, if you're on iTunes, if you could give it a five star review, that would be amazing. Uh, if you're on Spotify, I appreciate the listenership as always. And uh, Aaron, if you don't have anything else, that's that's probably it for me. Yeah, man, I think I'm good. Good luck to all the listeners this week, and everyone just enjoy watching some huge baseball games this weekend, and be on the lookout for a possible emergency podcast. And you know, good luck with all your lineups and all your bets this week. Yep, of course. All right, have a good one.